I'm pressing record right now. Okay, I pressed it. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay, should we clap? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rules your list, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be best. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. This is our third episode back. Third episode back. That's of, exciting. Of what? <laughs> From, uh, oh, right. <laughs> this is a oh, podcast. Yeah. You're listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Yes, indeed you are. I am Deanna, and that's Hannah, and we are two humans who like to talk about ladies, and uh, yeah. So should we dive right in? I think we should. I didn't, um, once again, I didn't do any intros. I feel like that's kind of become more of our routine. Well, like, intros, everything is on fire, and I guess I just don't want to... Yeah. Be talking about it. And I mean, in Colorado, everything is literally on fire. Literally on fire. Oh, there's smoke everywhere. It's so rough to breathe right now. Which is fun when we're in a pandemic where there's a respiratory illness going around. Yeah. Uh, It's not good. (laughs) But uh, no, I don't mind. I think unless something specific jumps out as an intro. Yeah, I I just maybe I should be sourcing um, more of those like fun Twitter threads that I used to, but maybe Twitter's not fucking fun anymore. Twitter is just like all doom and gloom. I know, and you know, it's all like screen grabs of what's her face doing the Heil Hitler at the uh, Republican National Convention, and I'm Gil- just is like, it Kimberly Guilfoyle? Is that the yes, one? yes, hey. yeah, and hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, we, we should just like skip all that and just go into like cool people. So let's do that. I've got a cool person today. She's pretty Can you badass. Tell me? Yes. Tell me. And so I actually didn't even mean for this to happen exactly the way it lined up. Um, as we sort of referenced, um, I think last week that Trump is pardoning Susan B. Anthony blah, blah, blah. But that has to do with the fact that it is the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote in this country um, nationally. And um, tomorrow, August 26th, which is the day this episode airs, is the actual anniversary uh, of the 19th Amendment taking effect. So, oh, shit, giving women the right to vote. And I am going to be talking about a important suffragette today who is actually usually pretty behind the scenes. And I don't think a lot of people know as much about her. So um, I want to talk today about Edith Garrett. I don't know that name at all. I did not either. But I am already obsessed with her. So um, she was a British suffragette. So not quite. But it still lines up. Anyway, my sources this week are Wikipedia. Um, layersoflondon.org. It's a piece by Caroline Kamana. Then uh, I have The Guardian, um, which I looked for an author, couldn't find. Uh, fightland.vice.com, and a piece by Sarah Kerchak. 
and then bbc.com uh, a piece by camilla ruz and justin parkinson so those all are right all, those are all my sources cool we're not going to get too much in depth today about all the problematic aspects of the suffragette movement. I just want to talk about one particular woman and what she contributed. Just know cool. for anyone listening, we know that that exists and that we should probably address it if we talk more in depth <laughs> about the suffragette movement itself. I'm talking about one little piece today. So here we go. Cool. So thank you for that. I, I always think that's good to like mention. Yeah. They were very racist and classist um, in, in England and America. So here we go. Yep. The horrors of forcible feeding endured by imprisoned suffragettes on hunger strike are relatively well known. The image of rubber tubes being rammed down women's throats as they were held or tied down is a hard one to shake. Less widely documented have been the efforts made to protect the movement's leaders from arrest in the first place. Of the 30 strong elite bodyguard trained to resist the police using the martial art of jujitsu and of the woman who taught them. Uh oh. Yes. Oh. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm in it now. <laughs> right? I didn't know suffragettes knew jujitsu, and they did. <laughs> no. Um, so while they were out on marches, obviously a lot of suffragettes would complain of being manhandled, groped, knocked to the ground. Um, things obviously took a darker turn um, on an event called Black Friday, which was November 18th, 1910. Uh, there was like a, a group of around 300 suffragettes and they met a wall of policemen outside of parliament. They were very much outnumbered and they were assaulted by both police and male vigilantes who just happened to be in the crowd. Fun. And a lot of them sustained serious injuries. Two suffragettes died um, that day and more than 100 were arrested. So uh, after that, women didn't go to these types of demonstrations unprepared to uh, meet with violence. Good. Yeah. So while she wasn't the first woman to practice jujitsu in England, apparently self-defense parties were among the more privileged women in the countryside. Um, they were very popular. <laughs> they would just for fun learn self-defense. Really? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> OK. She was the first to officially bring martial arts to the suffragette movement. She was born Edith Margaret Williams in 1872 in Bath, England. And five years later, her family moved to Wales where she remained until about 1893. She married William Garrod. He was a physical culture instructor. So I think kind of just what? like uh, an instructor of physical arts. I don't know. Um, he specialized in gymnastics, <laughs> in boxing and in wrestling. And okay. so he also taught his wife some of the things that he knew. Um, Which makes that's fair. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Common interests or something. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they moved to London, where William found work as a physical trainer for universities there. And so uh, Edith discovered jujitsu first when she and her husband both took a class with a man named Edward William Barton Wright, who was uh, white, but he was one of the first jujitsu teachers in Europe. And he was the hmm. quote unquote founder of the eclectic martial art of Bartitsu. Which is basically, what? it's just like a white man's amalgamation of boxing, no. jujitsu, cane fighting, and French kickboxing. Okay. Um, but Bartitsu <laughs> caught uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's attention and is like talked about and was made famous in I was Sherlock gonna Holmes say, novels. Like, 
That seems like a Sherlock Holmes thing. And I guess I probably think that because I just watched the trailer for Enola Holmes. Me too. (laughs) And yeah, and they're like, you know, there's some fighting in there that makes me think of Bar-Jitsu. Bar-Titsu. Bar-Titsu. Except for when he Even wrote better. about it, I think he called it Baritsu. So he like misspelled oh. it when he wrote about it in his books. Anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> so they took a class with this guy and discovered jujitsu together. Um, and so after that, they started to study together under um, Sadakazu Uyanishi, who was one of the first Japanese instructors to teach jujitsu outside of Japan, which is where jujitsu originated. Right. Um, although there's Brazil- Bra- Brazilian, Brazilian jujitsu now. <laughs> As well. Um, so um, Sadakazu Uyanishi went back to Japan in 1908, and William and Edith took over instruction duties at his dojo, which was called Golden Square. And it was oh, wow. in Soho, which was a very posh area in London at the time. I How long did they now. study with him then? Um, did you say? It they doesn't say. They moved to London. I. I think in 1893, it doesn't say exactly when they took the class, but he left okay. in 1908. So long enough to become like serious Pretty good experts. at it. I think okay. so. I think so. Um, so William was, uh, he took over as owner and manager and he would teach classes to men. And Edith was the instructor of women's and children's classes. Um, they both became associated with the suffragette movement when the Women's Social and Political Union, which is what the suffragettes technical party was Mm. um they booked them for a jujitsu demonstration and william fell ill so edith went to the meeting alone (laughs) uh usually she was the one doing the demonstrations while he would speak and teach um but the story apparently goes that the wspu's leader emmeline pankhurst encouraged edith to do the talking herself which she did and so amazing. After, yeah. After that, Edith started holding self-defense classes for suffragettes, um, teaching them how to deal with hecklers at protests. And they would learn at a dance school in Argyle Street. Um, and then when those protests began to face increasingly violent opposition from the police and men, um, she started to teach them how to fight back instead of just how to like deal with them, get them Damn. out of their way. Um, she would explain how women using jujitsu methods could, quote, bring great burly cowards nearly twice their size to their feet and make them howl for mercy. (laughs) She also wrote in an article, this is a direct quote from her. She says, woman is exposed to many perils nowadays because so many who call themselves men are not worthy of that exalted title. And it is her duty to learn how to defend herself. She also around that time, there was a cartoon, uh, a newspaper cartoon done up, uh, which depicted policemen cowering before her. And it's like oh, called oh. the suffragette that knew jujitsu or knows jujitsu. And there's like two men on a fence behind her. And she's like ready to fight. It's really interesting. I love um, that. I'd also like to mention that um, Edith Garrod was four foot 11. What? Tiny woman. Tiny. Oh. And the requirements to be a police officer at that time were that you had to be at least 5'10". So she was regularly taking down men who were over a foot taller than her constantly. And they would underestimate her because she was oh a little teeny God. woman. And um, I don't know if any of our listeners have ever taken a jujitsu class. I took one. And um, it's really fun. But it's mostly about using your opponent's size against them. 
So it I was going to say, I feel specifically like specifically for um, pressure points, like turning joints ways they're not supposed to go and taking people off guard and, and flipping them uh, when they're least expecting it. And in my class, it was specifically a women's self-defense class. Um, one of the biggest positions of power in jujitsu is when you have like if you're on your back and someone's in between your legs, which is why it's really good in particular for women wanting to learn how to defend themselves against assault because yeah. your legs and your hips are two very powerful like limbs and joints to be able to use to throw someone's weight if you have your legs wrapped around them. It's uh, fascinating. Yeah. 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 Like if you accidentally, well, or if someone pushes you to the ground or whatever, like mm -hmm. then you're prepared to uh, get yourself out of that situation. And holding someone close to you is a beneficial position, I learned, because you're able, if you're able to get your wrists on either side of their neck by holding their clothes, um, you can make them pass oh. out. But you have to keep oh. you, bring them even closer to you in that process. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. That'd be scary for that person. <laughs> the tiny but mighty Garrett, she was appearing in films about jujitsu, like really early rudimentary films. Um, she was writing articles about jujitsu, and she would apparently take on any curious man who doubted her skills. Oh yeah, Which yeah, that's really a awesome. that's a familiar tactic. Who who was it that we did who would fight men who were like, oh yeah, I can beat you. Oh, it was this it great was, Sandwina. It was Sandwina, and then right, um, and also the the Mongol princess, the Mongolian princess. That you oh yeah, about? Um, yeah, yeah. She would also uh, do the same. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. If men well, really want to fucking doubt you. Yeah, well, also one of the reasons why men tried to deny women the vote is because they would argue that women were too frail to fight for their country. And uh, Edith Garrett was basically saying, actually, women can fight pretty well. So let's yeah. do this. And we can use the shit that you think is your strength against you, which yep. is like, you know, you wouldn't even see us coming. Exactly. Um, excuse me. According to her great nephew, Martin Williams, uh, Edith would sometimes use the dojo as a hiding place for other female activists. So like she didn't want people to know that Golden Square was a dojo. And so since it was in a nice part of town, people didn't really expect that. And so whenever the suffragettes would like create a disturbance or have an act of civil disobedience, they would run back to the dojo, hide their clubs and everything that they were hiding <laughs> under the floor. And so when the police showed up, it just looked like they were in an exercise class. Oh my God. Which I think is really boss as well. Um, oh shit. Yeah. Um, so in 1913, uh, the government instituted what became known as the cat and mouse act. Uh, which basically was saying that, you know, we release suffragettes who are in jail on hunger strike until they regain their strength. And then we rearrest them for the same reason we arrested them the first time. Oh, fuck. Mm hmm. And so um, at this oh. time, one of the Canadian born suffragettes named Gertrude Harding, she decided that she wanted to assemble a team of around 30 women to protect Emmeline Pankhurst from rearrest under that very act because she was released. And Edith Garrod became their instructor, helping the women learn the skills they would need to fight back against much larger and armed police officers and opportunistic male bystanders. Their all women's protection unit was referred to as the bodyguard, the jujitsu suffragettes, and the Amazons. 
I like the jujitsu suffragettes. Yeah. How did I never fucking know about this? This is bananas. And because so- this is the shit that like we need to be making movies about that just nobody. Mm-hmm. It it. Mm, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Because so their job obviously was to protect fugitive suffragettes from being arrested. God. That's so cool. And their lessons would take place in uh, um, a bunch of different secret locations that constantly changed so that they would avoid attention and detection by the police. Um, Armed with their jujitsu training, clubs, and whatever else they could get their hands on, like flower pots, and protected by homemade armor made out of cotton and cardboard, these (gasps) women defended Emmeline Pankhurst through a mix of skill and distraction. Uh, the bodyguard fought a number of well-publicized hand-to-hand combats with police who were attempting to arrest the leaders, most famously during the so-called Battle of Glasgow in 1914 and during the WSPU raid on Buckingham Palace, also in 1914. Um, on several occasions, they were able to stage successful escapes and rescues, making use such uh, of tactics like disguise and decoys to confuse the police. Oh, my Uh, God. Yeah. A number of the incidents are described in the unpublished memoir of bodyguard member Catherine Kitty Marshall, which is titled Suffragette Escapes and Adventures. And journalists coined the term suffragitsu to describe their techniques of self-defense, sabotage, and subterfuge. Suffragitsu. Do you remember? I, I... I had a, uh, I had a, some, I don't know, I had somebody that I did, and one of my sources was like suffragitsu.com, and you and I both were like, what the fuck does that mean? That's a weird name. Now I know. Now we know. <laughs> I didn't know. I haven't known this whole time. Yeah. And I always thought that was just like a weird name. Like, I, and I here knew, it is. I knew suffragettes like weren't afraid to get violent and fight back and all this stuff. But I didn't know yeah. that there was like a, a secret police, like a detail assigned like to a suffragette CIA. leaders. Yes. They're to- like putting on disguises and breaking people out and like. Yes. So secreting them away. I mean, not only so putting crazy. on disguises. So if we want to talk about the Battle of Glasgow for a sec, um, that for that day. So the bodyguard traveled overnight from London by train. They concealed their clubs like under their dresses Uh, Which obviously made them slightly uncomfortable. Ah. Um, But there was a crowd waiting to see Emmeline Pankhurst speak at St. Andrew's Hall. But police already surrounded it, hoping to catch her before she went in. Oh, Um, shit. She evaded them, Emmeline Pankhurst did, by buying a ticket and pretending to be a spectator. And then the bodyguard got into position. They sat in a semicircle of chairs behind the speaker's podium. And Emmeline Pankhurst just walked up and started speaking. Um, yes, (laughs) she did so for half a minute before police tried to storm the stage. But police became caught on barbed wire that the suffragettes hid in bouquets of flowers. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, that is that is so sneaky. So, yeah. Right. And really, they anticipated they knew it was going to happen. And there were about 30 suffragettes and 50 police that were involved in a brawl on stage in front of 4000 people. Oh, my God. Like, they were... Holy shit. Yeah. Eventually, (laughs) eventually the police did overwhelm the bodyguard, and Emmeline Pankhurst was once again arrested, but the difficulty they had in dragging her away showed how effective the guards had become. Like, it was... 40 women... 30 women. Brawling with... 30 women brawling with police officers 50 police officers, yes. 
<laughs> That's that is something out of a a movie. Mm-hmm. And yet and, we've never seen that movie. Yeah. Um, also, at another event in 1914, when uh, Emmeline Pankhurst was giving a speech from a balcony in Camden Square, she emerged from the house in a veil, escorted by members of the bodyguard, and police swooped in. They had another fierce fight. Emmeline was knocked to the ground and dragged away unconscious. But when the police triumphantly unveiled her, they realized it was a decoy. It wasn't even a real person. It was a dummy. And the actual <laughs> Evelyn Pankhurst was smuggled out in the commotion. Oh, my God. It wasn't. It was a dummy. It was a fucking dummy, like stuffed. I think oh so. My God. I, I oh, think my it God. I think it was. Holy um, shit. Yeah. So these women were total <laughs> badasses. I know that the bodyguard was disbanded right after World War One started. I know that the suffragette movement kind of quieted down. Because they wanted to focus on, because they were all, you know, aristocratic women for the most part, and they wanted to support their country. Um, And Emmeline Pankhurst decided to suspend militant suffrage actions and support the British government. And therefore, she decided she no longer needed protection. And, um, of course, at the end of World War I, uh, in 1918, the Representation of the People Act was passed in the UK, which gave more than 8 million women the right to vote. Not all women, though. I think it was like women over the age of 30. And I think they had to be landowners or not landowners, but um, have land and money. If I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaken. But then I didn't know that. And then women got the full right to vote in 1928. And they had to be be 21 and up to vote in 1928, which is later than women in the U.S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I had only heard or really knew about the 1918 mm-hmm. date. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there were provisions uh-huh. to that uh-huh. date. Oh, my God. But um, Edith Garrett continued to work as a self-defense instructor and a jujitsu instructor until 1925. She and her husband both did um, when they sold their dojo. And they seem to have retired from public life. Um, there's some evidence to suggest that they may have been successful as investors in the property market. Um, Edith is recorded as having made several contributions to various charitable causes in the 50s and 60s. Um, she mm. did sit down with a journalist by the name of Godfrey Wynn for an interview in 1965 on the event of her 94th birthday. Oh. Um, she even put the writer in a wrist hold for old time's sake. And she recalled in that very interview that a policeman once tried to prevent her from protesting outside Parliament and said, quote, now then you move on. You can't start causing an obstruction here. And she said, excuse me, it's you who are making an obstruction and then tossed him over her shoulder. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. Bet that's the best response. If only we could all respond that way. You're the one who's in my way. (laughs) Four foot eleven woman. (laughs) God, I love um, that. And she died in 1971 at the ripe old age of 99. Um, Jeez. Didn't really say, I couldn't figure out what she died of, but if you're 99, I think you probably earned a death by old age. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it was a peaceful, quiet death. I, I hope in so. In her bed or something. But I, I love that she still was it, in her 90s able to put men in wrist holds and be like, see, I still got it. Um, in 2011, there was a a plaque placed outside of her house in Thornhill Square to commemorate where she lived. Um, 
In Aww. 2013, her image was included on a sculpture installation um, by a, a tube station at Finsbury Park. And um, her great nephew, Martin Williams, previously mentioned, he helped found the groundbreaking lesbian and gay switchboard on Caledonian Road in 1974. And he said he was inspired by his great aunt. Oh, which that's I think so is lovely. Very sweet. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. yeah. So that's it's a so pretty nice. short and sweet one. But I think that that's fucking amazing that some little four foot eleven woman trained an elite bodyguard detail for the suffragette leaders. I mean, the movie writes itself. I don't understand. I mean, maybe there is a movie. We should go look this up. Well, maybe there's a movie called The Bodyguard. Most of of the articles that I was reading about her were published as a result of the movie Suffragette coming out, um, which I don't think did very well. And there was a lot of criticism of it. Yeah. But um, which I never saw. That was the it. one with Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, and Meryl, and Meryl Streep. Street. And Helena Bonham Carter was in it. And Helena oh, Bonham yeah. Carter's character was apparently loosely inspired by Edith. And the character was initially ah. named Caroline, but Helena lobbied to have her renamed Edith in homage to Edith um, Garrett. Interesting. Mm hmm. All right. But so that's there's Edith like some Garrett. illusions, but. <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, that was fucking cool. And fun, right? Yes, that was so fun. That was so fun. I don't know why more people don't know about her, because I guess she wasn't a leader, but God, she was fucking important. She was... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the idea of, especially, like, we've been watching a lot of, um protests happen in the last, you know, three to four months, and we've had a lot of clashing between cops and activists and it feels really relevant that you know one of one of these things that that suffragettes did as activists was um fight back it was they you know they didn't just go and protest like they defended their right to protest Mm -hmm. and they did it in the manner that they needed to do it in order to get their voices heard and you know, like people, a lot of people are talking about, oh, well, if you need violence, then your message is not coming through or but literally blah, look blah, at blah, blah, blah. And it's like hard won well, civil I, right in history and tell me <laughs> that there was no violence in any yeah. of those gains that were made. Yeah. Like, I mean, not that's that a I silencing tactic. I'm very I'm not like a, a great believer in a lot of violence, but I think that, you know. The suffragettes were met with violence, and instead of just going, oh, okay, they said, no, fuck you, we're going to fight you back. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was effective. It did what they needed to do. And it was horrifying. And I was just thinking about how so much of the same rhetoric gets used all the time, because when you look at old cartoons of suffragettes and how the, you know, they're, they're loveless, dowdy, ugly, you know, oh, yeah. love-starved cat ladies is basically how they're portrayed and then i'm like that's literally the same thing is i've I've been i'm in this meme group on facebook um that basically shows some like shitty right-wing memes and one of them is still like this pretty blue-eyed blonde woman wearing a maga hat and it's like choose wisely on who you're gonna vote for and it's this pretty woman and then on the other side is this like goth looking heavy set chick wearing black 
lipstick and has like gauged ears and has like some sort of satanic symbol on her. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We're still doing this. It's the same fucking thing about how women who are feminists are unattractive, ugly, like somehow, you know, Satanist and, and just want nothing to do with men as if being a feminist is, I don't know. They just don't fucking get it. I know. And that only women well, rhetoric... who are willing to subjugate themselves to men and the patriarchy are attractive. Yeah. Like that rhetoric only... has worked for a hundred plus years. It's worked. So yeah. of course they still use it. You know, of course. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are susceptible to it still exist. Like they're still alive and it's still working on them. So And it's just you really know? fucked to me. Like what they like their perceived idea of beauty standards and it's like you don't fucking know and also like stop being fat phobic stop being afraid of like women who wear makeup and women who modify their bodies through piercing and tattoos and all this stuff like what does that have to do with anything lots of women of all types get fucked by men if they want to like what are you yeah so enraging (laughs) i know i just have to console myself with the fact that like at the end of the day the opinion of those people is so like microscopic. It's so yeah. unimportant yeah. that it just like, you know, it it just you blow it away in the wind. Just fuck it, you know. Yeah. But uh And dude, also like look like so many of the the suffragettes were happily married anyway. Like Edith Garrett clearly had a good relationship with her husband and he was supportive of her teaching women how to defend themselves. I was going to say, like, I know you didn't necessarily mention it, but the fact that they were still married and they, you know, did their thing even after the movement shows that he clearly didn't have a fucking issue with it. Yeah. Weird. So almost like feminists don't actually hate men. That's not what it's about. Well, and you know who had to vote to give women the right to vote? Men. Men. So clearly, like, enough of them... Agree. Yeah. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Which, speaking of gross men, did you see that post I made on my Instagram story about me trying to sell my bed frame? No. So I'm trying to sell my bed frame. And if it doesn't get sold, we're just going to donate it. It's fine. But it's in New York and I'm selling it on a bunch of different places. But one guy on Facebook Marketplace messaged me. He said, is this still available? All your pics are hot, LOL. I think you must have used it a lot, but still interested. I was like, why is this the time? Especially when the post says I'm moving in with my partner and I don't need this bed frame. Like this this is a good idea I... for him to comment on my appearance and how much he thinks I fuck. 
Of course. It's always a good time. It's always a good time, Deanna. It's exhausting. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, my God. I only have one other on this day that I really wanted to talk about. So do you want me yeah, to Yeah, because this just... was your on this day, really. Kinda, yeah. Kind of. All right. It was one yeah. big on this day. Um in 1883, on August 26th, uh, eruption of Krakatoa begins its final paroxysmal stage. Which Krakatoa Whoa. was a big volcano in Indonesia that obviously erupted in 1883. And it killed like um, 36,000 people. More than 36,000 people. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my god. But it jumped out at me. Why because is that of this, the only like, one? <laughs> the only one I want to talk about because it was the only one that wasn't like war related or plane crashes or stuff like that. I don't care. Um, yeah. This time. Fair around. enough. I just wasn't feeling Fair it. enough. But it jumped out at me wow. because one of my favorite bars to go to with Alex is like a tiki themed bar and they have a drink called the Krakatoa. And when you order it, there's like a, a volcano painting that erupts in the background and the lights all turn red. And I'm like, this seems a little bit oh. like insensitive, but I guess 1883 was a long time ago. Those 36,000 people's descendants probably don't care. But (laughs) yeah, I'm sure there's like a bunch of eruptions like that that I don't know that we don't necessarily talk about, but had major impacts like that. Yeah, that's insane. I I feel like when I did my on this day or when I was researching my on this day, there was another volcano eruption that I was going to I was going to put down. And then I was like, wait. Deanna's into boats, not volcanoes. So <laughs> I didn't, I like didn't volcanoes. put it down. I think <laughs> but now that I know, yeah. Now that I know, I'll I'll go back and and put it in my notes. Please do. <laughs> I guess summer's I a big time for that. But yeah, yeah, do you do you have something you're excited about this week? Oh man, I um, like it's just all random little things. Like I already mentioned that I watched the Enola Holmes trailer and I was like, oh, that looks fucking fun. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited does. to watch that. Mm-hmm. They also just released a trailer for, you probably saw this one too, Ammonite. No. It's the, oh, okay. Well, the reason this one I'm excited, I'm excited about this one is because it's about someone that I've wanted to do on this podcast um, named Mary Anning. Oh. And... She so it's Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet, and okay. Kate Winslet's playing Mary Anning, and Saoirse Ronan is you know some housewife whom she befriends, and it's sapphic and very much like Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, vibes. Um, but Mary Anning was like she was a paleontologist, basically. <gasps> she kind of pioneered paleontology without meaning to. <gasps> She would Hannah, go out. Do her and... now. Talk about her on this podcast before the <laughs> movie <know>. comes out. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say any more. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe not. I should just like leave it. But if anyone goes and watches the trailer, they'll know what it's about. I mean, she was a Victorian woman who used to unearth fossils on the beach and she would sell them. Um, her life was hard. And that's one of the reasons I've never I haven't done her yet is because it's not like the happiest story to tell. Mm. Um, so I'm curious to see what they'll do with the film, like how they'll how they'll cover that. And and I, I like that there's a love story. I feel like that makes it a little bit more palatable, um, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm excited about that. I there was somebody tweeted about um, about lesbian movies not having electricity. 
these days. Like they're I, all. I think they're full of shit. They're all movies about like Victorian women on the beach. I thought it was funny. It's just a goofy, <laughs> a goofy tweet. But that's why they were tweeting it because Ammonite, the Ammonite trailer just came out. But so I'm excited about that. Um, and also I've been sewing a lot Aww. lately. I've been like reteaching myself to sew. Oh wow! And so you know, I'm excited about various projects that I'm working on. I just started learning Uh-oh. how to do a little bit of cross stitching. So you did a little. That is so awesome. Yeah. And you should I'll I'll make the garments and then you do like you do some embroidery on them or cro- is cross stitching and embroidery the same thing? No, not quite cuz cross stitching oh. is a very I mean I think it might be a type of embroidery but it's not. Okay. Like cross stitching is embroidery but not all embroidery is cross stitching. Okay. So I think, you, and I'm definitely not an expert on that. So you learn how to embroider then, and then you can embroider the clothes that I make. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, but yeah, those are the things I'm excited about, and um, I uh, I'm gonna finish a shirt when we finish our recording our episode tonight. Well, so. awesome. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Hopefully, it's wearable. Fingers crossed. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> we'll see. I think that about covers our our show our weekly show yeah i feel like this one's pretty short and sweet but yeah no, no less awesome no less awesome because i feel like Thank i did for... i did a long one last time so <laughs> i was trying to you know <laughs> yeah change it and <laughs> mine will be long next time so um this will be a good in between yay in between for people um, but yeah, if, uh, until next time you can, in between episodes, you can go check us out on social media. We're at GWBB podcast. Uh, we're also on Patreon and Ko-Fi at GWBB podcast. Email us, GWBBpodcast yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be awesome if anybody wanted to leave a review just saying that you like us. That would be great. Uh, we always appreciate reviews from awesome people who listen to us. Yeah, so that'd be great. Yeah. And uh, on that note, peace out, witches. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. 
Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.